0: Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by J Ventures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, Upwest, and Hippo Insurance. Our 64th guest is a very, very special one because he is my brother, Or Matyas, Broadway musical director, composer, and writer. Or is the composer, music director, and music producer. He has worked extensively on and off Broadway, The Great Comet of 1812, Preludes and Octet, and has collaborated with artists such as Josh Groban, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and others. His compositions for theater have been performed worldwide, and his work has garnered numerous awards and nominations. A graduate of both Juilliard and NYU, he continuously strives to bridge the gap between various musical genres. Or Matthias.
1: Thank you for joining me on 20-Minute Leaders. It's actually Matias, and thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) That's debatable. Okay, (laughs) so I have the privilege of speaking to my brother now for 20 minutes, uh, one of the most incredibly talented musicians that I have ever met and will ever meet in my life. Musical director of Broadway, uh, Juilliard, uh, NYU uh, for musical theater, and now you're lecturing at a university. What are you doing? Just give me a little bit of a rundown.
2: These days, I'm staying home and washing my hands, as I hope uh, all of your viewers are. But uh, yeah, it's been quite a ride. I mean, I've, like you mentioned, I've kind of run the gamut from from being in classical music for many years to then working with rock bands and pop bands, and then kind of finding myself at the heart of this musical theater scene in New York, and now uh, have the privilege of teaching at Manhattan School of Music, which has been so rewarding and. Um, it's been kind of a wild trajectory figuring out how to navigate all of these musical interests that I have and kind of uh, keeping things fresh and and really trying to trust my instincts in terms of, you know, letting the road kind of take me between these uh, various paths and, and figuring out how to how to just learn the most from the musical legends around me, I think.
1: Definitely. You know, so, I mean, I'm c- coming from the tech world, and entrepreneurship world, uh, the paths for a computer scientist or an entrepreneur are, are somewhat clear. You know, you, you get into a good university or in Israel, you go to a good tech unit, you start programming from an early age, and then you work as a software engineer and so on and so on. How does it work in music? So what do you have to do to get to the level of being on Broadway as a musician, now as a composer and being one of the top pianists in the world?
2: God, that's, that's really a kind of a million dollar question. And it's, I think it's like the first question that I get asked by, you know, these, these incredibly talented young people who make their way to the city and get started and want to know what the path is like. And I think the, the truth is, you know, there's this, there's this like known, um, uh, kind of phrase or adage, which is you have to be at the right place at the right time. But I think a lot of it is, is just like being in as many places during as many times as possible, and I think that for me it was it was really making sure that I wasn't pigeonholing myself um, to one very very specific either style or form of performance um, or kind of idea of what I wanted to um, pursue in front of me. It was really just figuring out how to um, how to really finesse the things that sounded interesting to me, and I can be a little bit more specific. So yeah. You know, I grew up I grew up writing songs and being inspired by a lot of Israeli songwriters and American songwriters and thinking that I wanted to be a songwriter. And so I, you know, spent my formative teenage years writing as many songs as I possibly could and learning to listen to them. Yeah. And learning from, you know, the great, great songwriters um, who I was inspired by their work. And so I did that for many years. And then weirdly, you know, when I was when I was 16 and was living in Palo Alto, um, kind of found myself really immersed with a dream of pursuing classical music to the highest level. So then I started practicing for hours a day and really taking that seriously. And found myself at
1: Juilliard and and you know did that. Wait wait me. wait. So back up. W- what does it mean to practice for hours a day? Paint me a picture because you know most people don't get to experience what I've experienced growing up having a brother that's all day next to the piano and just doing scales on top of scales on top of scales. Give me the round What what is it like?
2: Yeah, so that's, it's a great question. And it's something that I have to admit, even for myself, I came to it a little bit later than a lot of my um, uh, Juilliard peers who had kind of been doing it since they were kids. But for me, you know, like a daily routine, like you're saying, would would often consist of starting the day with an hour of scales or technical exercises. Um, And that's something that for me was really kind of the gateway into the practice day. It's warming up. The hands and stretching the boundaries of what was possible physically at the instrument, working on things like dexterity, working on things like precision and making sure that all the fingers were even in terms of the way they were approaching the piano. So that's like, you know, that's a very like kind of methodical, technical uh, form of practice. And then you can really, in terms of in terms of how those hours are spent, it's kind of amazing because when you look at the idea of working on a piece of music, you know, there's the technical element of being able to perform it. So if you think of even even pieces that you know people have heard of, like Rachmaninoff concertos, right? So there's the yeah. element of being able to play the notes, which which in and of itself is is an enormous task and takes hundreds of hours to, in order to finesse. But then there's also yeah. the element. Of the musical work, which is the question of exactly how you're executing each phrase, and that toy and the emotions you're putting into it, exactly, and that and that is endless, and it's all about the relationship between how much control you have in a technical level, in order to be execute the ideas that you have on
1: a musical level, and so that's the relationship that you work on during the practice session. But you actually went, you know, you look at sports and you look at, let's say, soccer. You have some of the inevitable injuries that people have throughout their career. You had some some similar injuries, but from a musical perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember your hands and, every, and your back and everything. Yeah, it was so, so the kind of the crazy twist,
2: um... To like kind of the, the arc that my story took is that after all these you know, years of really practicing and, and, and getting into Juilliard and feeling so excited, I found myself there. And during my freshman year, I was so eager to prove myself that I was practicing tenfold and sometimes spending 12 hours a day in the practice room. Wow. Um, and a few months into my very first year, I started feeling these tingles around my right arm and it kind of went from zero to 60 in a matter of days and found myself with crippling tendonitis and actually had wow. to stop playing the piano for about six months. I couldn't, I went back, I, I was seeing this uh, physiotherapist who would allow me to, to practice for five minutes a day. And so oh there was a crazy moment where I was in this like epicenter of like the, the greatest musical institution in the world. And everybody around me kind of leaping in strides. And I was able to touch the piano for five minutes a day. It was
1: a very, very challenging, to say the least, period in my life. Unbelievable. For the thousands of people who wish they could be in Juilliard, but, uh, you know, because of its selectivity, they don't have the opportunity to be there. Give me, you know, two cents of of what those four years were like, both the good and the bad. Ooh, uh, you open up a, um, a, a large bundle.
2: can of worms, Michael Matias. <laughs> yes. um, so the good is certainly the fact that, you know, I was at this institution that gave me, gave me musical tools that I genuinely, I, I know for certain that I would not have acquired anywhere else in the world. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the amount of just like knowledge and technique and understanding and depth is something I draw on. Every day right now, when I write for theater, when I compose for various mediums, it's just this like amazing toolbox of knowledge that I acquired. Um, the, 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 The more challenging side of the school is the technical element because part of what the school does is it preps you in such a profound way to be able to tackle anything under any circumstance with any level of duress which means that the expectations are are incredibly high and the demands are high and sometimes sometimes it's it's possible to a little bit lose sight of the heart behind the things that you're working yeah. on because the speed is so robust and so I will say for me as somebody who came to school already feeling like I was struggling to keep up with the technical elements it was hard for me to navigate the
1: demands and the passion for the element itself. No, and I'm sure that it's, that with all of that, you also have the huge competitive nature of any, uh, and any selective place where you're competing at the end over slots. Uh, and you know, the Broadway industry is notorious for being, uh, for being what it is. Uh, and then you have this um, incredible transition uh, to doing your masters at, at NYU and you're transitioning more to the musical theater world which is radically different from classical music, right yeah how, what, what, how did that even happen
2: um there's there's a story that I tell, and it um it sounds it sounds it hyper it, it sounds hyper dramatized, but I swear it's true um and and we can we can have an alibi to the story, but the story goes that during my senior year. Um, at Juilliard, I had this incredible um, uh, theory teacher named Thomas Cabaniss, um, who who I really, really admired and appreciated. And I was writing all these songs. And one day I was uh, you know I would what what I would do is sometimes before classes or after class, I would linger in the teacher studios to just play my songs because the teacher studios had the best pianos. Um, and so I was kind of uh, hanging out in Tom's classroom playing a song of mine. And after the song is over, he kind of comes from behind the door and he and he's like, did you write that song? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I write a bunch of songs. That's one of them. And he hands me a piece of paper and says something like, show up at this address tomorrow. (laughs) Um, uh, Which which can be creepy, but it was also quite profound, um, because the address that I ended up finding myself at was, uh, um, was this incredible human named Mel Marvin, who to this day has become one of my greatest mentors. And Mel Marvin, um, in addition to being an unbelievable Broadway composer and wrote the music for the Grinch on Broadway. Oh, wow. Also is one of the head composers of this musical theater writing program at NYU. Um, And so we were at his house and he asked me to play him a bunch of my songs. And I did. And he just turned to me and he said, have you ever thought about writing for theater? Um, And I genuinely, admittedly haven't. I mean, you know, we grew up in a household in in Israel, which was very cultured, but theater was not, musical theater wasn't heavily on my radar. Um, And I said to him, you know what? That's not really like, thank you, but I don't really, like, that's not what I do. Um, And he said to me, okay, well, have you heard of this composer and this composer? And he started playing me all of these amazing musical theater songs by Sondheim and Adam Gettle and Michael John LaCusa, all these people. And he said, this is the music that's being written. You should check it out. And he encouraged me to apply to this program at NYU. And at the time I was kind of you know, toying with the idea of maybe going to LA to do some film scoring after Juilliard, et cetera. But I said to myself, why not? I'll apply. Um, right. And he very generously offered me this um, uh, this full scholarship, this, this Dean's Fellowship to go to NYU and get my master's degree in musical theater. And I said, you know, this sounds like a great opportunity. And while I was there, I met all of these incredible people and started music directing. And, and it kind
1: of happened you know, serendipitously and naturally. Um, and Unbelievable. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, you, you've you've been in quite a few productions on, on both on and off Broadway. Uh, you know, I remember much younger, I, I watched you as you played piano at Rent and you were, I remember you're, pract- you're practicing for hours for the last five years, which made me fall in love with that show. And in general, you, I mean, I owe it to you, my love for musical theater now, and you know how much I love uh, musical theater, arguably even more than you do. Uh, which, is, which is quite ironic, I have to say, given that I cannot sing and I cannot play uh, and I cannot dance, of course. Uh, and then he went on to uh, be a huge, huge, huge part of the hugely successful show with the Great Comet. Uh, and you've really seen it through it all, right? You You've really felt what it's like to bring a show from ideation to Broadway. Talk to me about this really unique experience that even most people in Broadway don't get to experience.
2: Yeah, kind of wild. Um, kind of wild. So the story of my relationship with that show is kind of insane because I, like you said, I had been kind of doing all of this, like playing piano in pits and subbing and rent and for the last five years and really trying to make my name as a music director. Um, and I had music directed um, a reading, and then theater speak, a reading is basically a week-long workshop, it's 29 hours, in which you basically just workshop a piece to get it to a very, very basic form of presentation. Uh, and I had done this workshop for an amazing, amazing theater company called Ars Nova, which to this day um, uh, has become kind of an artistic home to me. And I, I loved it and expressed to their artistic director, Jason Egan, that I wanted to be able to do more with them. Um, and he said to me, you know what, there's this guy who we just commissioned a piece from. And you should meet him. I think you two would hit it off because you both have your passion about classical and jazz and rock and come from all these backgrounds. And his name is Dave Malloy. And so he put me in touch with Dave. And I remember I traveled to Brooklyn and we ended up sitting in this coffee shop and talking about everything from Bach to to uh, Tom Waits and to any kind of music that you can imagine Um, and Dave had just started really putting together the final version of Great Comet for its for its original production Wow! Uh, and, and weirdly weirdly first invited me to come audition for one of the characters for Balaga right? For Balaga, who was at the time also an associate um, music director, Dave was also the music director. It wasn't enough that he was the writer, book writer, lyricist, composer, and orchestrator. He was also the music director of the original sure. production. Um, and and you know, a lot of things were happening with my life at the time, and it just so happened that I got offered to go to Australia and New Zealand for a tour with this violinist, and so I, I very sadly kind of had to withdraw myself from the pool of that production, but I was following it and saw, it, you know, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Um, and I was so honored that when the show got picked up, um, by a commercial producer and then taken on to have a, um, a commercial life, Dave called me and said, listen, Oh, I should also say, um, i also forgot that Dave also played the lead role of, of Pierre. Right. That, yeah. That that's correct. Yeah. Right. Um, And Dave said to me, listen, I think, I think I'm doing one thing too many. I'm looking for a music director. Will you do it? And so I came in and interviewed again with the team. um, And I became the official music director of the show and its first kind of commercial off-Broadway phase, which was done on 14th street, right underneath the High Line. And it was this magical, magical time, which I remember you came to see. I think there's even a, a photo of you young in costume.
1: Yeah, yeah, you dressed me up. I was sitting next to you. I was, feeling the, I was feeling the power. And, you know, we fast forward and you all of a sudden you're in the heart of Times Square on Broadway uh, with over a thousand people in the audience in this very interactive, uh, engaging production with Josh Groban as the lead actor. And, uh, you know, I, I, every time I still see the Good Morning America uh, snippet of, of where you guys are performing, it just puts a smile on my face. And all my friends who love musical theater they just can't stop raving about the great comet and the work that he did there. It was just so incredible. But you're not just a musical director because you also were nominated for for an award for being an actor, acting as Rachmaninov. So funny that you're mentioning him throughout this because you're actually playing Rachmaninov uh, in the Lincoln uh, at the Lincoln Center, right?
2: Yeah, so Dave, Dave, who wrote Great Comet, wrote this incredible piece called Preludes, which was about um, specifically about a period in Rachmaninoff's life when he suffered from writer's block. And I had the distinct privilege of playing. In the show, there were two of us playing Rachmaninoff. I played the pianist version of him and my wonderful friend Gabriel Ebert Played um, uh, the kind of composer troubled yep. composer writer's block, um, and yeah, I had the I had the honor of being nominated for for a Lucille Lortel Award for for that performance, and um, that was that piece really had my heart. I loved working on that so very much.
1: Incredible, but your true passion after all of this and with all of this, so you've already accomplished more than. Like, you know, the top 99.9 percentile of musicians could accomplish, yet your heart lies at composition and artistically exploring your inner life. And the music that you're creating is very different. It has a lot of right jazz to it. It has a lot of different uh, musical styling to it. Tell me a little bit about what is composing to you. Yeah, so like
2: I mentioned, I mean, this all began with me as a kid wanting to write songs. I mean, I think, you know, one of the... Yeah. Um one of one of the big, big, big sounds that was in our house growing up, and we contributed this to I think mostly to our father was 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 CDs of Yoni Rechter and his wonderful Israeli songwriter and Mati Kaspi. And those were kind of like these two titans playing in our house. And I remember hearing their music, which is infused with with you know, for Mati Kaspi it's like Brazilian rhythms, and for Yoni Rechter, it's American jazz, and it's these sure. amazing harmonies with soulful melodies and I've that's exactly the kind of stuff that I love doing so much and have wanted to pursue my whole life doing and now I'm finally you know I'm 32 and finally like taking the time to say all right I've done I've done all that like really incredible work facilitating other people's writing and now it's time to go back and invest in my own and so I wrote this this musical called The Wave um, uh, which is based on this uh, uh, really kind of harrowing experiment in which a teacher turned a whole high school into this fascist movement in the 60s. Right. Um, and I've been, you know, developing it for a few years with uh, uh, with my fiance Chloe Treat, who I know that you also interviewed. Um, and we finally, finally this year um, are getting a world premiere production of it in Austria um, and Linz. I mean, you know, knock on wood, God willing. World tour? Uh, so a world premiere of the this musical in Linz, Austria, God willing. You know, if uh let's just hope the world starts
1: healing as quickly as possible. But uh no, oh, it's just incredible. So or we're we're almost at twenty minutes, but I do have to ask you the most important question. I need three words that best describe you or as somebody that you worked with would describe you as. Um I'd
2: say okay, passionate um uh i'd say like hard working or diligent um and earnest
1: earnest okay explain that for a second
2: i feel like i i really believe in just like put it, putting my heart out like just being being a true self i try to especially in my work to not put up facades when i write music i try to let it be kind of the most honest and earnest side of me and sometimes just to allow myself to be vulnerable, even if not everybody responds to it, but to present myself in kind of the uh, the purest form possible.
1: I love it. Oh, أخي, tada, raba, raba. Thank amazing. you, brother Michael.